Bob Howdy and welcome to Ernest Goes to Podcast, Ernest Extra number 22. Even more Ernest analogs. The world is full of analogs. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Aaron. This is David. Hello, listeners. And we are back to talk about all the Ernest analogs we already talked about and then maybe a couple of new ones, Dave. That's completely accurate. Yes, there's. We've done more thinking. We've had time to let everything simmer process. after our we must process twenty-four hour discussion. That's right. Fry, refry. Yep. If you missed our last episode, it was all about Ernest analogs. Our Refresher. Last two episodes, in fact. Our last two episodes. Refresher, Dave. What are Ernest analogs? So Ernest analogs are character performances that are similar to Ernest, or characters in fiction similar to Ernest, or performances that are similar to the way that Jim Varney played Ernest, or mm. Jim Varney's relationship to Ernest the character. So there's a lot there's a lot of different things to unpack there. So people, real or imagined, who share traits with Ernest or or even just like see the spirit. Exactly. Ev- evokes a sense of the man. Yes. The myth, the, the legend. legend. So, before we unpack the last few boxes of Ernest analogs, sure. We should talk about how the legend of Ernest is thriving, flourishing more than we ever thought possible. That's right. I, you know, I remember a time when this podcast started <laughs> And I believe you described it as a podcast that explored Ernest on a level that was neither anticipated nor wanted. Yes, correct. Turns out it might have been more anticipated and wanted than we ever thought possible. Well, I think I also referred to the Ernest fandom as a sleeping dragon. A uh, sleeping giant, maybe. Oh, One of those, a yes. sleeping giant. Either yes, way, was, dragons are giant. Dragons are big. Yep. And it was going to rise up. Sure. And we have seen this happen. Maybe. We have, because... There are no less than three other Ernest podcasts <laughs> that now exists and have joined us in the celebration of the aforementioned. It could be like a coalition now. Man myth legend. Yes, you're right. And a maybe coalition. they can help us start Ernest Con, or they uh, can start it even better, and we don't do anything. Yeah, I was trying to think of like a good pun name for the Ernest Coalition. I don't have one. <sighs> the World Wide Web. I don't know something. <laughs> there's something God. there. So there's there's three that we're aware of. Mm. There's um, the aptly titled. Hey Vern, it's a podcast. Which is <laughs> like a similar, a similar nice. uh, idea to our own title. Yeah. Hey Vern, it's a podcast. I'll just read from their description of themselves. Yes. Our goal is simple. Every episode, we watch one Ernest movie and one piece of bonus Ernest content from his show, Hey Vern, it's Ernest. Hey. We approach Ernest both with the honesty that comes with age and the affection that comes for this sweet, lovable doofus. Good. That sounds familiar. What I want more of is Ernest podcasts that respect. Ernest. Yes, and I would say that all of the ones that we're about to talk about do, for sure. Or at least take, I don't want to say take him seriously, but I want to say that they they approach it with an open mind. Sure. They're not just there to do a takedown of a bad movie. Yes, and actually, uh, I was talking with the host of the second in our list of Ernest podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, one of the hosts, Dustin, uh, and we were talking What's about- What's that podcast called? That podcast is called The Importance of Seeing Ernest. That's a great title. That's correct. I agree 100%. Um, but we were, I was saying that I have lost patience in my in my older age for yep. podcasts that are just like, remember this thing from when you were young? Well, guess what? It sucks, and here's why. <laughs> it's just like, really? That's all you've got? Like, But uh, the importance of seeing Ernest brings the humor and sincerity and good spirits that I think Ernest deserves. Mm. And speaking of spirits, spirits. they also also bring uh, the Whorl of Cocktails, I believe uh, Hoover's Whorl of Cocktails. Uh. And um, they make a themed drink each episode based on whatever it is that they watched last. 
And they have ratings like moving, moving, moving. They do. The drinks, the drink <laughs> ratings are wonderful. It's, it goes from a golly bob howdy at the top, a moving, moving, moving in the middle, mm. and then a, do you know what the bottom ranking is? It's very appropriate. The bottom ranking is a, ew. <laughs> Of course, I'm sorry, yes. And, uh, you know, I'm not fully caught up on that Uh, podcast. I've only gotten to episode six, I think. mm. But so far, in terms of what I've listened to, they haven't gotten to an ew yet. Yeah, okay. So that's good. And then finally, there is the video podcast. So everything we've discussed so far is an audio podcast, similar to our own. But the the third in the quadruped that is the moving Ernest giant fandom. I would say our latest arrival, the new baby of Ernest podcasts. Is Ernest Roulette. It's the only earnest podcast with a wheel I've as heard, they advertise it. I've heard that said, yes. <laughs> so and the wheel part is the roulette part. They have a wheel, they tape different earnest movies onto the wheel, they spin it, and whatever it lands on, that's the earnest movie they're watching that episode. Yes, and, and I, then they rank the earnest movies. I did notice some titles there that were maybe not actual earnest movies, but um Is were, Existo on there? Were solid jokes. No, it was more like uh, joke titles, which um we Oh, can, that's funny. We can, we can save that for unmade earnest. They, potentially. You guys can watch that yourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting to me that so far the wheel, despite the randomness of their spinning, has come out almost entirely chronologically. That's I've noticed that that's too. a fascinating thing, isn't it? Yeah. Destiny. Huh. That's right. Ernest is like, watch it like <laughs> it's the invisible, unmoving hand of Ernest P. Worrell. You might even say yeah. he's in the room, but you can't see him. Okay. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> I see what he did there. Or do I see what you did there? Or do you know what I mean? Anyway, I those are the newest additions to the, the Ernest podcast universe. Yes, yeah, so check them out for more discussions on Ernest and more people's interpretations of Ernest because our interpretation is just one interpretation. Yeah. And we, of course, are the character analysis podcast, like Correct. analyze every single thing Ernest says or does. Yes. And then the others have their own take on how to approach the importance of seeing Ernest. Yeah, you could say that. I will say that we are probably the most family-friendly Sure. Podcast. Yes. So keep that in mind. We are the most G-rated, I think, of all <laughs> yeah. these. Um, no, but you know, we've interacted with folks from all of these podcasts, yes. and I think the nice thing, you know, some people might expect that, like, oh, other people are getting in on our turf. But honestly, we all have our <laughs> our own interpretations of what Ernest is, and yeah. everyone has their own unique voice and their own unique take. And I mean, I think there are observations we share. Yeah. But that just lends more credence to our observations. For sure. And then it's interesting to see where they differ. I did actually just text Dustin from Importance of Seeing Ernest, and Mm -hmm. I was saying to him, uh, I'm really excited for when they get to your world as I see it. (laughs) I'm excited for when everyone gets to your world as I see it. Correct. And he was like, Because I want to know what do you think it is. Exactly right. He was like, Well, I've been saving it. I've never seen it. And I was like, Oh, I'm very excited. I'm very excited (laughs) because what is it? (laughs) We still don't know. Oh, and also they do interviews. They do, yeah. They have interviews with uh, behind the denim curtain. Yes, on uh, with members of the Ernest Ernest. Brain Trust. They've had an interview with Bruce Arnson, right, Uh, and Daniel Butler. So maybe they can ask one of them what your world as I see it is. Correct. But it's also been nice because I've gotten some interesting insights from uh, listening to and watching these other Ernest podcasts. Um, Yeah, and in fact, that's a perfect lead into our discussion of more analogs because. I was watching the latest episode. Let's unpack the rest of this box and finally get moved in. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get moving, moving, moving. So I was watching an episode of Ernest Roulette, and they referenced comparing some gag, I believe maybe in jail, to a Naked Gun movie. And I was like, hmm. I watched that too, and I'm pretty sure they compared him to Daffy Duck. They did also do that, Just, yes. Yeah. Yep. 
But Naked Gun is an interesting thing because... Yeah, we totally forgot. I don't remember what we discussed versus what got cut because... I didn't cut anyone. I want to tell you right now, I did not cut anyone. Interesting. So if it wasn't there... If it wasn't there, we we didn't didn't talk about it. it. Well, Airplane was on my list. And Airplane is, I think, where you can kind of trace the comedy career of Leslie Nielsen back to. Okay. And I think I would consider uh, Lieutenant Frank Drebin, Police Squad, an earnest analog. Okay. Because, I mean, it's a different... The tone of those movies and that TV show is different, but it's also... It's absurdist, isn't it? It's absurdist. It's surreal. It's cartoony. I wouldn't say that that's too different from the Ernest universe. For sure, Specifically specifically for certain movies. Maybe school. Sure, It's very absurdist. Or just Haver and it's Ernest. Anytime there's a lot of, like, back-to-back gags or, like, lots of rapid-fire jokes, I think maybe the comparison to jail comes about because there is the law enforcement presence... And so it's like, oh, and because okay, that police... whole movie feels surreal with their outfits. It like does, the, yes. The, the pink uniforms the mm-hmm. guards are wearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a surreal tone to the whole thing. I'm trying to see if I have ah, anything else. Ah, so you didn't mention Leslie Nielsen, but they got it in for you, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, it was a moment of inspiration where I was like, oh yeah, that's a oh, thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's also another analog that has been further discussed on our Facebook page that yes. we 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 gave him due time Mm -hmm. but now we need to give him more time apparently i mean something happened (laughs) did something happen uh something something uh hair wise happened okay let's talk about john cena yep for a second theme music (laughs) even i know that i know a lot more about john cena now than you ever thought you would yeah because i (laughs) you know i go in with my research sure sure so after we talked about him i went in and i was like oh wow okay yeah. There's lots of stuff about John Cena. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. So John Cena shooting a movie in Asia mm-hmm. was asked to grow his hair out and came back to WWE to do a <laughs> an event in Australia. And everybody on Twitter started talking about whether he was the son of Jim Varney because of how similar his haircut was. I didn't say it when we originally talked about him, yeah. but I did think it. What's that? That he had a resemblance to Jim Varney. Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. I didn't want to say anything because yep. I didn't want my brain to go there. Sure. I am, am in love with too many people. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we going to do John Cena goes to podcast? We, no, we're not. We're okay, not. Okay. Honestly, I prefer the arms are isolated sure. in their rippedness. Sure, and sure. he's just ripped all over. And it's just a little overwhelming. He is he's, a he's just jacked a giant, dude. Yeah. giant, smart, friendly, articulate monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, John Cena is wonderful. Um, I'm trying to think if I had anything specific about him. Well, what he said in, uh, what did he say about working with Jackie Chan? Oh, yes. So working with Jackie Chan, um, he brought up that, what was the quote that? So he's shooting a movie with Jackie Chan who's directing, right? Correct. And he actually called Jackie Chan the Charlie Chaplin of our generation. Yes, correct. I've been a fan of his because I think he's the Charlie Chaplin of our generation, one of the best physical storytellers of all time. Me being a physical storyteller myself. So now we have... An earnest analog suggesting another analog. By comparing him to, to an, an earnest, earnest analog. analog. So we had Charlie Chaplin on our list of earnest analogs because, of course, Ernest takes after Charlie Chaplin quite a bit. Yep. In the sense that he is a physical storyteller. And I, there you go. John Cena is now saying, oh, Jackie Chan is also a physical storyteller, as am I, which is why we put you on the list, John Cena. I loved Did that. Did you not hear our episode? <laughs> I loved that phrase, the physical storytelling. It's so simple and like evocative of exactly what that is. And also it shows that we keep saying 
these performers are deliberate in yeah. their choices. Like John Cena is aware that he's a physical storyteller. Sure. Charlie Chaplin is aware. Jackie Chan is aware. Jim Varney is aware. They're all very aware of what they're telling the audience. Well, and I think you've described comedy or physical comedy in a way that I think is also applicable to wrestling, where it's not just stuff falling on the heads. There's, yeah, it's very intentional. Cool. It's very. I was hoping you were gonna say something more, like quote something more articulate. That I, that's what I said. <laughs> but it's true though, because like, like the sense of wrestling being quote unquote fake, like it's yeah, it could it's not, not just it stuff could not be further from that. There's so much like practice and training and like timing, timing. Yeah, it's yep. it's physical storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's animated, you might say. <laughs> oh, speaking of animated. And I'm not talking about a cartoon, but I also am, but I'm also not. Ready for it? Okay, here it goes. Sure. Steve Irwin. Yes. We talked about him the last episode. You were not prepared to discuss Steve Irwin. I wasn't. But now you are, because we both just watched a bunch of Steve Irwin commercials. Correct. So let's talk a little bit more about our beloved Steve Irwin. One thing I did not mention, and I actually didn't just show you this because I forgot. Okay. But one thing I wanted to mention was that Steve Irwin also gets bitten on the face by snakes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really specific Snakes. analog. <laughs> yeah, I found like three videos of him getting bitten in the face by a snake and a high, very high tolerance for pain. Sure. He was, we were yeah. watching these clips where he was like walking around in the jungle, happy as you please, but like bleeding Blood. from like a, a gash on his leg. And he's just like, yeah. who cares? I sliced my leg well and truly right open. Who cares? I've just spent time with a pregnant orangutan. Yahoo, baby's rule. Yeah, <laughs> there's one clip where, I mean, anytime he gets hurt by an animal, like, he'd get bitten on the face by a snake, and he'd be like, oh, that was my fault. Like, I'm sorry. And then he apologizes to the snake. Yeah, or just he'll just kind of be like, he'll have this air about him that's just like, worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. I got to be close to these orangutans. Who cares yeah. if I He's slice so my happy. leg open? And you mentioned something else that, the way Steve Irwin jovially delivers negative information. That's true. Is similar to Ernest. Yep. They'll gather some leaves up and put them over their head. They hate the rain. They don't like getting wet. You can just imagine Ernest saying to Vern, they hate that, Vern. Or like, like talking really about badgers. Cheerful. Like never yeah. do this to a badger. They hate this. Yeah. Yep. So you see it, right? Oh, you absolutely. No, I saw, I saw it when we first discussed it, but like it's always nice to have more visual evidence and... Again, I just want to watch more Crocodile Hunter. And, of course, he was in a bunch of ads. That's true, which we also watched. Yep. Yeah, he is also a pitchman. And in addition to selling animals, also, in fact, sold real products. Yeah. So there's that. I mean, I saw a few ads of him selling this brand of camera. I gave me best mate Wes my Pentax so he can snap a picky on me with this gorgeous python. This is a spectacular snake. He's got the shot by now. That's it. I can't breathe. Did a lot for Toyota. He did. Just uh, like Ernest. I know. Well, I not know. Tyson's Toyota, but Toyota nonetheless. Yep. An ESPN ad. Yes. <laughs> where they're very much aware of the fact that he's a cartoon. Also, he's a cartoon because he wears the same thing all the time. Cartoon wardrobe. He's got cartoon it. Cartoon wardrobe. And he does wrestle a crocodile mascot yeah, in that, that ad. But they also, in the same ad, discuss the idea of a 24-hour Steve Irwin channel. And I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. Why don't we have that? <laughs> Please great. and thank you. 
Um, oh man, what else did he, he did? A lot of quarantine PSAs. The invisible fence that protects our natural wonders and agriculture is quarantine. Help them make sure nothing dangerous gets in. Yes, quarantine is sort of analogous in the states to like customs, where like yeah, they just prevent... don't bring foreign species of yes. plants or animals into our country, please. You will wreck our entire ecosystem. Stand back, local species. So have Steve Irwin do ads for that. Yeah, yeah, and he's a great pitch man. He's got the comic timing. Mm-hmm. He's got the charm. Yeah. Real life earnest. No, yeah. And, and speaking of timing, like that FedEx ad where mm-hmm. he like falls over with like perfect comic timing. <laughs> like that's absolutely an earnest thing. I don't know if you thought you needed to convince me of this, but it was I just wanted you to see it was it, all like, up on the screen. It, I mean, there's also an ad where he's driving like crazy like Ernest does in Ernest Saves Christmas. <laughs> sure. I was just imagining the guy, the Magritte guy. The Magritte guy. The guy sitting in the back with the oh. hat. <laughs> like, <laughs> From Ernest Saves Christmas. Yeah. Yes. I forgot like that I compared him to around. that, or did you? Someone did. You did, yeah. Just like sure. sliding from side to side. The in second, the, back. the second sweatiest man in yeah. Florida. That's true. Second only to Ernest. Correct. So who else we got? <laughs> oh, our frequent guest Dan. Yes. Pointed out that uh, Kramer could be an Ernest oh, yeah. analog from and Seinfeld. Kramer had been on my list because he's an annoying neighbor mm-hmm. who shows up randomly and the slide in. Kind of a weirdo. Yeah, you know. The, the Kramer slide. The slide is almost analogous to something like what we were talking about last time with Jaleel White saying that, you know, it's not necessarily a line that makes something a catchphrase, but it's, it's the way you deliver yes. it. And that slide, like, there's nothing about a slide that's iconic, <laughs> but it's just the way he performs yeah, it. I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, Michael... There's some iconic slides. There's that and then Tom Cruise's in Risky Business. I feel like those are two iconic slides. <laughs> sure. I don't know that I could think of any other <laughs> ones. But... Slides can be iconic. But Anything yeah. can. And then like, I don't know if, if we want to talk about this because I haven't thought about it too much, but Michael Richards, thinking of Kramer, also made me think about how Michael Richards is in UHF, which is the Weird Al movie. Uh-huh. And I've thought of Weird Al sometimes as like oh, kind of an earnest Weird analog. Al. Just because like well, he's got that sort of like... I mean, I love Weird Al. He's definitely like, there's like a snark to his humor, but he's also very sincere. Like yeah. just as an artist. Well, I think that's why people like Weird Al. Sure. Even though like he is snarky, but yeah. there is also a sincerity to it. Or like, I think it's that like not even trying to be cool kind of sincerity. Where sure. Just like sure. embracing the fact that you're weird. Yeah. Or wacky. Absolutely. And like not trying to just the the complete lack of attempt to be cool. I think that kind of sincerity is in Weird Al. And it's interesting because... Not so much in Ernest, but in Weird Al. I was going to say, because with Ernest, there's like a very clear concerted effort to always kind of save face or like to put on this idea that he... Yeah, but he's not trying to be cool, Ernest, usually. Sure. As in detached. Ernest usually tries to appear strong, which I think is different. Well, or like a a high class person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) we just watched... But but in terms of performance, Jim Varney is not trying to look cool as Ernest. That's true. That's true. And so I would embracing say, like the weirdness of the character or the weirdness of your persona. I mean, yeah, which I Weird Al that. goes so far as to call himself Weird Al. It's just like, yep, this is it. I mean, Weird Al also has a cartoon wardrobe. He's constantly yeah. <laughs> in the uh, Hawaiian shirts. He's had kind of two different looks over the years. He had a show. Uh, he did Al have. Show. He did have a there Weird Al show, uh, which was also a short-lived uh, one-season-long show, the Weird Al show uh, on CBS. I believe so. Surprised there wasn't a doll. The Weird Al show also on CBS, yeah, just like that uh, figures. Just it's like the Ernest. same vibe. Yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. a similar vibe. Oh, yo, what about Beekman? We didn't bring up Beekman, but we have before. That's right. The quarterback of question, the King Kong of knowledge, 
the Duke of Discovery, the giantest of scientists, the Elvis of experimentation, the B-Man himself. Ladies and gentlemen, we give you the one and only... Me, Beekman. Because I remember saying specifically, if you replace uh, Southern with Brooklyn, then you, you get Beekman. Whoa! <laughs> Why did we not talk about this last time? I didn't even remember it. Oh man! There's only so much that I can I can it's get. It's funny because I was just reading something on the Spanish version of Newsweek where apparently uh, Beekman has a ton of Mexican fans. Interesting. And I was just reading. And I was just like, and they were doing an interview like, with him. Like he went to Noticias de la Semana or something. It was just Newsweek Español. Okay. It was something like that. And I was just, just Newsweek. Yeah, and it was like, yeah. When I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, Beekman. And then I was going to bring him up, but I forgot that you said that. I forgot that I said it too. <laughs> you replace Southern with Brooklyn and you've got B. That's very. Okay. This brings me back to something we discussed in our scared, stupid episode. Okay. Which is, I think I said that in any other show or movie, Ernest would be wearing a lab coat and would be the weirdo scientist character. Yep. Don't change his performance at all, I believe you said. And it's just said. the fact that he's Southern. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Now, but so now the idea that Beekman is an earnest analog and he is wearing the lab coat. Interesting. I think that just supports that more, that Ernest does have the... We keep comparing Ernest to mad scientists. We do, we do. It also... Or scientists. I'm not saying Beekman's mad, but you know, nah. he does have a giant rat friend. That's true. Who knows how that came about. We've also, if I recall correctly, compared the set of Beekman's world to the Dr. Otto set. Whoa. Which is very apt. There's lots of like bright garish colors and neon things and kludging together different random like machinery objects and wires and nonsense. And this is again a legacy thing where, you know, you could say Ernest belongs solely to the 80s, but he doesn't because he comes from Charlie Chaplin. Sure. And then like Dr. Otto's the 60s sci-fi and sure, then that sure. feeds into the 80s, which feeds into the 90s, which feeds into now. And Ernest it just, is forever. It just keeps perpetuating itself, but also evolving and changing. I wish I could describe the hand gestures that I'm Ernest just, is making. It's just like it's forever. Like a, it's like a puree of <laughs> of time. Yeah, time. Yep. Time. See what's become of me. Mm. <laughs> time. Is that a Doctor Who thing? No, I'm going to go back to Doctor Who. Sure. Um, but so before we got into Beekman, we were yeah. talking about Weird Al. Yes. Uh, UHF, favorite movie of mine. Kind of cartoony. Still there's a lot of there's a I'll lend it to you. There's a lot of cartoony stuff that happens in it. Um, there's fake commercials, which you may know that I love. Oh yeah, um, I love in-universe advertising. Yes, and it's just like the same kinds of gags that you would see in an Ernest movie, like that mm. sort of like the gag in school where the marching band and football team flatten Ernest and it's all yeah. one shot. There's yeah. a similar gag that happens in UHF where Weird Al's character is having a dream sequence where he's Indiana Jones. Oh man, he's having a dream sequence Yo! where he's Indiana Jones. Wait. Anyway, <laughs> so how far do we want to get into this? I mean, the rabbit hole doesn't end. There's no bottom to it. You I know, understand? I just know. Some at some point, we just have to stop digging. It's yes. This podcast is not finished. It's abandoned. It's a rabbit hole that we're digging. We're That's... not even like following it. We're just digging and being like, I wonder how far this goes. We just meet up periodically with like a bag of shovels. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. How do well, I at say some point, you got to uh, How do I say you. this succinctly? Weird Al's character in that movie is a daydreamer. He's kind of like uh, Walter Mitty daydreamer. a little bit. But um, all of his fantasies are centered around like TV or things that allow They're, Weird Al to do mm, parodies. Maybe. Mm, also, okay. as a complete aside, John Cadenhead, who plays Tom, Tom Tulip in the Ernest, Tulip Brothers. Ernest Goes to... Uh, sorry, Ernest Scared Stupid. Ernest Scared Stupid um, is in UHF. UHF. 
as a used car salesman, <laughs> who I believe. Um, but I want him to be Tom Tulip. I know, I know. Yeah, no, there's definitely like a subcategory of like cartoony films, like live action films that are cartoony. Mm-hmm. Like Airplane is that, mm-hmm. Naked Gun is that. I don't know if this came up, but did we talk about Gremlins too? No. Gremlins, <laughs> I mean, no, we didn't. Gremlins Cause two is because no, I don't think any of the Gremlins are analogs. We really they're not. No, we didn't really talk about movies that have the same sensibility as Ernest movies. We just talked about That's character true. in I the sense of characters. The only thing that maybe came close to that was like Be Kind Rewind. Exactly, yeah. Um, so now we can talk a little bit more about, sure, like movies that are analogs to Ernest movies. Yeah, I mean, Gremlins 2 definitely just because of, uh, sorry, all I can think about right it's now the is the Keel, key, yeah, the yeah, key, the key and Peele sketch. Skit. Me too. Um, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, I know, I know. There's cartoon electricity <laughs> in that movie. Yeah. Um, That's right. Joe Dante, huge fan of Chuck Jones. Chuck Jones is in Gremlins 1. As a cameo, <laughs> it's all. I think that movie starts out with a Bugs Bunny cartoon clip from a Bugs Bunny cartoon where he's talking about gremlins. Okay, my head. I know. Listen, I know. <laughs> one thing I've no. One thing I've really enjoyed noticing as I've gotten older and delved deeper into the media I love. Sure. Is seeing how people who make things I love got influenced by each other or oh, yeah. were influenced by the same things when they were younger. Yeah. And just seeing how. It's like a tree that just all branches off yeah. and continues to branch off and branch off. I was having a very similar discussion to this with our guest Tom from uh, Haven Disc 2 yesterday. Yeah. Because I had dinner with him and we watched the Peter Jackson early horror film Dead Alive, <laughs> sure. which was called uh, Bra- Brain Dead Outside of the U.S. That movie is another analog for an Ernest movie. It's really? so absurd and cartoony. <laughs> it's gory as all get out, but it's like a cartoon to an insane degree, the main character is kind of earnesty. Um, but we were talking about that exact idea where it's like <laughs> Peter Jackson's doing this thing, this movie in the 90s, and you can see the things that he likes in it. You can see that he's being influenced by people like Sam Raimi yeah. or things like cartoons. It's very, we said this last time also, nothing exists in a vacuum. That's Everything right. comes from somewhere. Yep. And the thing that Tom said that really resonated with me was that everybody who makes things is a fan of other things. That's right. Everybody brings that kind of like fandom into their creative world. And even if it's unintentionally, it yeah. comes across. And I think that's cool. Well, it's a way for things to live on and survive. Yeah. It's, it's a reassuring thing for me. Absolutely. Because I want Ernest to continue. And I know that he will. Yeah. Even if they're not drawing from him, but drawing from things that inspired Ernest. Sure. It's, it's We are all interconnected. Moving on. Okay. The last- uh, You know what you just reminded me of? Yes. When you were talking about how Weird Al is a daydreamer in UHF, mm-hmm. that I had this thought about John Cena, which was that John Cena is what Ernest imagines he is. Sure. When he says that he's going to like rough somebody up. Like, had the first two or three of them cornered. He pictures himself as John Cena beating people up. Sure. It's like Ernest's fantasy version of himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just all buffed out. Sure, sure. I could see that. I mean, hey, son of Ernest. So before we get there, I, can I save that for the end? Because I have something to say about that. Really? And I think it will kind of lead us into our next episode in a really good way. Okay, go ahead. Um, the last thing I was going to say about analogs to Ernest films mm-hmm. is there is a film that I don't know. I think I sent it to you, but I'm not sure if you had time to watch uh, that I saw recently called Freaked. I uh, know. This yeah. is a 1990s movie. All I'll say about it. Is it, it like a, a sideshow kind of thing? Yes. Oh. I don't want to give too much oh, away all right, all right. because it's an insane movie. Oh, boy. Um, what I will say about it is a couple of things. 
It is starring and I think co-written by Alex Winter. Whoa! A.K.A. Bill, Bill S. Preston Esquire. Excellent. And when I saw this movie, I saw it for the first time recently, and my initial thought was immediately to go back to Dr. Otto, because what I felt about this movie was that if we classified successfully Dr. Otto as 80s heaven, mm-hmm. then I think you could classify Freaked as 90s hell. Like, it feels the same kind of, like, of fever dream. Is. I don't know that I'm necessarily... Even Want trying to, to pitch this. 90s hell? And I'm curious, uh, listeners, if you've seen this movie and agree or disagree, yeah, I definitely want to hear that. for you. I definitely want to hear from you. Uh, you can watch the entire movie on YouTube. Okay. It's one of those movies that I would really recommend. Don't read anything about it. Just okay. watch it. It's a crazy, crazy experience. I'm going to also recommend Pottersville, apropos of nothing, as Ooh, another movie like that. I don't want to tell you. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love this. Again, this I is the, tell you this a is single the, thing. I'm writing it in my list. This is the further reading. Um, what don't. else do you have? I have a whole bunch of like random piecemeal kind of things. Me too. Um, Columbo. Wanted to revisit Columbo. Oh, Columbo. Because I have a story. <laughs> now, here's the thing. You texted me. I did text you. Okay. As, as is my way. Now, I can't tell them what you texted me because mm-hmm. it's part of my story. Okay. But you also discovered this and then texted me about it. But I discovered this first sure i was hiding the information from you sure sure but basically i was watching an episode of colombo with my father because yeah yeah and colombo is talking to and he's interrogating but they don't know you know how colombo works i do he's interrogating but they don't know these two college students and colombo is again pretending like he doesn't understand what's happening as is his method i'm gonna assume there was probably one more thing that he needed to know (laughs) and uh Basically, these two college students are the murderers. I feel like he already knows that. Sure. Or at least he suspects that they're involved. But he says something like, Yeah, Joe's brother. Nice to pick that up. Know what I mean? (laughs) And I was like, Whoa! Columbo just said know what I mean! This was, of course, after we talked about him on Ernest Analog. Sure. So then I'm like, I gotta know what episode this is so I can get the clip. I go to see what episode it is. I now know where this is going. I now know where this is going. And the episode is called Columbo Goes to College. Yeah. And I was like, well. (laughs) Well, there it is then. (laughs) And then my brain imploded, but I couldn't tell you. And then you texted me saying. Well, so I I will follow up your story with a story of my own. Went to visit my parents. They were watching an episode of Columbo. Columbo, Columbo made some uh, reference to Sandra Bullock, mm-hmm. which in my brain reminded me of In Ernest's book where he references Ren and Stimpy. And I'm like, wait, that's weird that they exist Co-exi- in the same. Yeah, they, like, what year was this? It's weird that Ernest knows about Ren and Stimpy, and it's weird that Columbo knows about Sandra Bullock. Correct. So yeah. looked it up, saw that there was an episode called Columbo Goes to College. Because <laughs> of course there is. Texted you, and we all flipped out. And also... In that episode, the way that Columbo exposes the killers is mm-hmm. he does this huge dramatic like reenactment thing to draw them out. Like he puts on this, it's like a whole a monologue and like a setup. And I was like, man, Columbo's all about the drama. Sure. Just like Ernest. It's all about the theatrics of it. Like yep. Columbo puts on this big show about like, this is how the killer did it basically. And like takes the class, like he's lecturing this class. And he lectures this class basically on how the murder was done with the two students right there. And sure. then like, and then he's like, it's you, it was you guys. Or he makes them confess or something. But I was yeah. like, man, this is super extra, Columbo. Like, you didn't have to do all that. But he loves the drama, the flair. He did that in the episode I was watching, too, which mm-hmm. I think was called um, Ashes to Ashes. And the other thing that struck me watching that episode was 
the culprit in that episode is a undertaker, a guy who does like cremation and embalming and that kind of a thing. Yeah. And at the end of the episode, that guy realizes he's been caught by Columbo. <laughs> oh, um, no. The worst. Police cars show up and the undertaker questions. He basically admits like, uh, you got me, but yeah. like, this is weird. I don't know. Like, should we, should we like take separate cars? Um, and then Columbo <laughs> cool. in his affable way is just like, it doesn't matter because either way it's quote your funeral. That's the last line of the thing immediately cut to Columbo end credits theme. And I was like, this might as well be. Well, that's up to you, sir. It's uh, your funeral. ba 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 boop boop That's great. So Columbo is wonderful. I've seen Columbo do that before where he, he just dupes somebody like in an anti-Nelda way by like putting on this whole ruse. Sure. He just likes to, oh, I also, I can act. Yeah. Well, like, His con is like, is, is acting. He's acting yeah. like he doesn't know what's going on. Yep. He absolutely knows what's going on. Columbo is great. I'm going to recommend the episode, Rest in Peace, Mrs. Columbo. All right. That's spoilers for that recommend. episode? <laughs> no. Okay. No spoilers. Interesting. All right, what else, what else you got? I got a whole bunch of, again, just Yo, random. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to go through the random stuff that I have here. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about Michael Chambers last time. Boogaloo Shrimp. All right. Played Urkelbot. Reading more about <laughs> Yep. Reading more about him, come to find out he also played one of the good robot usses in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Nice. I was thinking more about Doc Brown. Um, cool, okay. And you talked about how you liked that Doc Brown got the ending that Ernest deserved. Yes. We didn't mention that one of Doc Brown's kids is named Vern. <laughs> well, I'm probably after um, Jules Verne. Jules probably. Verne, yeah, because right? uh, both Doc Brown and Clara, Clara Clayton, yeah. uh, both love Jules Verne. Doc and Clara. Doctor oh Who. My, what? <laughs> what? The Doctor and Clara. My brain. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. This the flow chart is un like it won't fit on the wall. The flow chart looks it's... like how Ernest's like a chart of Ernest's thought patterns would it's look. It's just a bunch of garbage now. Like, no, it's like it one of those like police anything. things with all the red yeah. yarn. Yeah, the string is just it's just red from string. Yeah. There's no you can't see the wall anymore. Um to take it back to sociolinguistics, it actually mm, reminded there me. We go. So that is when people make assumptions based on how well, this is an aspect of sociolinguistics. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, people making assumptions based on the way a person speaks, basically. Correct. It reminded me when you talked about Beekman, the whole Brooklyn thing, which I actually didn't remember when I was, uh, I rewatched it recently and I was like, I don't remember from childhood that he had a Brooklyn accent. Well, here's the thing. We're both New Yorkers. That's exactly what so I was going to say. we didn't think of it as- oh, that's a, just how people talk. Yeah, that's how people- Sorry, I should say it this way. If I lean oh, wait, that's just my, how that's just how people if talk. If I you lean know? into my Bronx accent, it's yeah. going to be like that. So yeah, we uh, just didn't interpret it as- an accent. But another another thing that occurred to me in terms of sociolinguistics and interesting performances and acting, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Whoa. As an earnest. Not an, I, don't, I don't even know if as an earnest analog. I just felt like there was something there where like, I feel like Arnold is constantly, even in terms of his name, his first movie, he's credited as Arnold Strong because people <laughs> thought that no one would be able to pronounce Schwarzenegger. There's something about mm. him in terms of how he is treated because of the way he speaks that I felt was, I didn't think too much more about it beyond that, but it, it made me. I guess it makes him feel more, there's something about it, I think, yeah. in, combined with his size sure. and strength. Also, also jacked arms. That makes him seem like otherworldly, sure. only because we're not familiar with the way he talks. Um, sure, sure. In America, and he is a beloved American icon. I would so not hesitate to agree <laughs> with you. So this is an interesting thing. 
We didn't really have, did we have any Vern analogs? Okay. <laughs> yes, we did. Who? Carl. Carl Winslow, you're and I right. Want, actually, you just reminded me that I wanted to mention something about Carl. Do it. Okay. I was just watching an episode of Family Matters, and you hit on something that I didn't even notice, which is that you said you feel that Carl had a bad reaction to Steve partly because he saw some of himself in Steve. I was thinking more about this too recently. Continue. And I saw an episode where I realized that Carl does this all the time. Remember that we did talk about the posturing he does where he tries to be like ultra masculine and like king of the castle and all that. But there's one episode where he fixes a ki- the kitchen window that is constantly being shattered in family matters. Is this what you want to talk about? In a roundabout way, yes. I want to hear where you're going first. So Carl has just finished fixing this kitchen window that apparently his wife Harriet said he should just have a repairman do it or something. Carl. I don't remember. But he's there in the kitchen and he does this long speech. Well, there it is, Harriet. Look what I did. Behold, the window is fixed. (laughs) The window that you said I couldn't repair, Harriet. You said I couldn't do the job. But I fixed the window, Harriet. I fixed the window. Me, 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 me. And it's like gets very earnesty because he, he keeps like, who did it, Harriet? I did it, Harriet. I did it. I remember this episode. And he's like, what do you have to say to that, Harriet? And I think she actually says, I'm proud of you, Carl. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm proud of you, Carl. You did a good job. Well, thank you. I deserve it. (laughs) And he swings his hammer and shatters Shatters the the window. window. And I was like, yo, David was right. I like it. That was earnesty and Urkely. Carl totally sees aspects of himself in Steve and has a negative reaction to that. Well, if if you don't mind me continuing the turning of our podcast into just uh, mutual self congratulation, <laughs> yeah. I, I also I mean when is <laughs> when is it not? <laughs> uh, I also something you said stuck with me, which was that you said Carl is an extremely emotional person, yeah. but he doesn't want anyone to know that. Yeah, and I thought about that in relation to what I was saying about I wonder if he sees some of himself in Steve because I feel like Steve is also an extremely emotional person, but he's just he like does show it hard on the sleeve. sleeve. Yeah, exactly right, and I feel like Carl. Maybe what I was picking up about Carl was that he sort of maybe envies that ability to be so mm. open, and that might be part of what the annoyance with Steve is. Obviously, Steve Urkel does some things, uh, almost kills him and his son with the yeah, satellite yeah, yeah, dish, yeah, that yeah. kind of a thing. I mean, but I think there's also this sort of more subtle element where it's like Carl wants to be as emotionally open as Steve is, or like he aspires yeah. to be something like that. But I think he feels like that would be showing some kind of weakness if he did that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Toxic masculinity. Absolutely. <laughs> I was honestly thinking today, like, should we do earnest and masculinity as one of our episodes? Listeners, w- would you be interested in an earnest and masculinity episode? That could... I, feel, I feel totally unqualified, though. I mean, I do, too, and like, I'm a man. We, so. not, not, but neither of us, I don't think either of us have taken any kind of gender studies you're anything right. like we are not qualified if we, we want to get further into we being academic some kind of expert we would oh. listeners if anyone you know is an expert <laughs> yeah. could be referred to us i'm not opposed to this idea but i do agree with you that i would want we to probably come to it from a place yeah. of expertise yep. which neither, neither of us, us have nope. but it's interesting think about it. i would love someone to write a paper Ooh. about earnest and masculinity that'd be a great gender studies paper wouldn't it yeah but so carl is the Vern analog we brought up last time mm-hmm. one that i thought of recently because it was playing on tv clark griswold 
I don't know who that is. It's uh, Chevy Chase's character from the Vacation movies. Oh, I haven't. Oh, I'm sorry. Listeners, this is one big iconic thing I have not seen. I haven't so, seen too much of it. Fessing up here. Vacation was playing, or maybe it was, I don't remember which one it was. It wasn't Christmas, but I was thinking Clark Griswold is kind of a Vern because he's just kind of like a normal, like, working man and, like, tries to, like, hmm. do, like, normal family things and then weird stuff happens to him. And there's also specifically centered around this other character, Cousin Eddie. Who's uh-huh. kind of the earnest. He doesn't resonate as an earnest with me, but he feels like he's fulfilling that role where like Chevy Chase's Clark Griswold is trying so hard to be like normal and average and just going to take my family on a nice vacation. And then there's like these weird cartoony things that happen to him. He's almost like Nash in some ways, too, where he like ridiculous things. Sort of the realist grounded person yes. in a cartoon world. Kind of like that. Yeah. Interesting. Because I'm tempted to say, well, Vern is, I mean, essentially the straight man, which is something that is it's almost a requirement in comedy. Like you kind of sure. need the straight man yeah. in comedy. So are all the straight men Vern? I don't think we can say that. But yet we are all Vern. So <laughs> I am not awake enough to so, dissect that. <laughs> it's so like, I feel like Vern is too vague for us to start coming up with Vern analogs. Maybe. Sure. No, we'll save that for Vern goes to podcast. But Carl for sure? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. In terms of the relationship, yeah, I guess so. There's a lot we have to project about Vern. Yep. Again, I'm just like looking at random notes. I have, mm-hmm. we, we talked about Daffy Duck. We didn't talk about how Ernest is constantly using the Acme window stop. <laughs> which well, because he's a cartoon. He's a cartoon. And then we just watched Ernest Scared Stupid and they used Acme powdered milk. They did to indeed. Kill a troll. They did indeed. We talked briefly about the We Hate Movies episode where they discussed Jar Jar. And how right. they compare Jar Jar him. being an Ernest analog. I, I re-listened to that episode. Sure. And one of the hosts says, quote, <laughs> Jar Jar Binks is Peter Sellersing his way through this herd of battle bots. <laughs> okay. And and then I realized. Okay. I realized. Come on. I, I was actually incorrect because they describe both Jar Jar and Anakin as Ernesty. Wow. They say, he quote, he really Ernest P. Whirls his way through this third act. And then the, the other host replies, that's a more apt reference. Sorry, Peter Sellers. Uh, but they're talking wow. about, about the way that Anakin like, but that oops, means I accidentally blew up the battleship. They were wrong about Sellers being an Ernest analog, but they weren't. They were not incorrect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go with your gut. This is like 20% academic, 80% gut. <laughs> but we pretend that's... it's 60% academic. I'm not here for math right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of the fact that we just watched Scared Stupid. <laughs> we showed it. I found this article from the Baltimore Sun on October 27th, 1991. The article mm. is called, To Jim Varney, Ernest P. Worrell Contains a Bit of Every Man. <laughs> okay. That's why those episodes are so long. <laughs> Go ahead. I will read excerpts from this article. Jim Varney has said that there's a little of every man in his alter ego, the lovable goofball Ernest P. Worrell. Mm-hmm. Quote, and I do stress just a little, the actor said in a recent interview to promote his latest comedy, Ernest Scared Stupid. And in spite of what audiences might believe, there's more than Ernest in Jim Varney. Well, moving, we, yeah, we got it, Jim. Right. Moving <laughs> on. Ernest, it's fine. Moving on through the article, Mr. Varney, 41, also cites silent screen comedians as one of his major influences growing up. Quote, I remember on Saturday morning when I was a kid, you know, back when they had gas TV, we'd watched <laughs> the old time movies, he said. They had a few cartoons and they'd show Charlie Chaplin, yep. Buster Keaton, or Harold Lloyd. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we know it is, which is a compliment to him. Yeah. Ernest, a little bit of every man. 
That's an interesting take. And while I'm in the article mindset, here's another article from the Buffalo News on April 22nd, 1990. This one's called, Hey Vern, Jim Varney's for real. Just okay. one excerpt. <laughs> just one excerpt that I want to read again, just to really drive it home. Sure. When he's not working, he's likely to rent a movie for the VCR. Quote, I rent the Marx Brothers, Buster Keaton, <laughs> Charlie Chaplin, your show of shows. I really like Sid Caesar. One of his favorite films on tape is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with Steve Martin and John Candy. Aw, good choice. Sorry, there's more stuff in this article that I will save for our next episode. <laughs> oh, and I got distracted. Moving I right know, along. I know, man, I'm telling you. All the times Jim Barney mentions something they might do is going to go into the next episode. What else do you have? Let's see. Oh, we made a huge error in that we left out a very important cartoon analog. Who's that? Goofy. Oh, Yeah, we totally forgot about Goofy, an extremely apt animated earnest analog. Now, you're talking about Goofy or Sport Goofy? You know what? (laughs) Don't worry about it, listeners. Hiya, fellas. The name's Sport Goofy. There is a short called Sport Goofy. That's all we're going to say. Go ahead and look it up. Sport Goofy in Soccer Mania. It's a very strange short. But anyways, Goofy. Yes, Yes, the Disney character. So Wears a vest. He wears a vest. He is very sincere. Yeah. He is sort of a hapless everyman who bad things happen to constantly. If you watch especially like the older Goofy shorts, yeah. he's used in non-shorts, which is like stuff is just happening to Goofy and he's just trying to deal. Yeah. He is a very chaplain He sort of has that impossible character. look, that it's, kind it's of a thing. It's definitely impossible look, but yeah. also the sweetness. Like, hey! Yeah. He's like good-hearted. Very good-hearted. And then that sort of personality is very earnesty. I mean, he continues in um, Goof Troop. I was going to say, Goof Troop has that sort of neighbor dynamic. There you go. Yeah. Okay. I don't think Vern is as mean as Pete. One would hope. But you don't know, really. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, yeah, Goofy is a very earnest- Certainly. A very earnest neighbor. I don't think he's annoying, but he is, you know, what do I want to say? Like, Goofy has very unashamed enthusiasm. I think that's what I see in a lot of earnest analogs. And Steve Irwin, and Ernest sure. himself, and Goofy, like this unashamed enthusiasm about, like, they're not worried. I think that's what I meant, not trying to look cool. Sure, It's like, sure. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not excited about this. Yeah. You know, and I mean, Gorsh might as well be Golly Bob Howdy, exactly. Or in the case of Steve Irwin, Holy Smokes, or Crikey. Yep. It's like wow. Yeah. Yeah, Goofy. He's, I like it. And then all the slapstick comedy. Sure. You know, I know he's talked about Daffy Duck, but I think Goofy has the reaction that Ernest has, mm-hmm. and D- Daffy gets angry when these things happen. Right. But Goofy's just like Goofy's more like oh, no. He's more like affable. He's a little more yeah. uh, Gomer Pyle, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I think Daffy has the cleverness of Ernest. Yes. Mash him up. Warner Brothers and Disney. <laughs> yeah. They're both Disney. <laughs> and they're both Disney. <laughs> yeah. And they both have vests. So continuing on with animated analogs. Yep. We've got a new analog, not a forgotten one. Although, is he? Well, huh, I see what you ah, did there. I see what I did. And, so, and, and by new, you mean from a recent motion picture. A new, as in from a recent motion picture and someone I was not aware of when we recorded Ernest Analogs. Gotcha. Okay, so here we go. Brand new analog. Drum roll. Drum roll. Okay. Hector from Coco. Buenas noches, chicharrón. I don't want to see your stupid face, Hector. Come on, it's Dia de Muertos. I brought you a little offering. Get out of here. Now, I watched this movie 
I started feeling the earnest vibes, you know, with this character. This character is introduced. Clever, funny, optimistic. Not optimistic, but like cheery. Yeah, up- upbeat. Upbeat. And I'm like, man, is this like an earnest analog? A, a very physical performance. An extremely physical performance. So mm-hmm. Coco is a Pixar movie. Yep. It's about Dia de Muertos, if you haven't, or the Day of the Dead. It's a great movie. I'm not going to spoil I it. I loved it, yeah. Honestly, that movie kind of made me fall in love with animation all over again. I can see that. Which is extremely high praise because I'm an animator. Sure. It's animated so well. But of course, the character that I think is animated the best is this character, Hector. These are all skeletons, but I think they make the most use of the fact that they can take themselves apart with that character. He's the character. They kind of are very restrained with the skeleton animation, and they don't really take themselves apart in a cartoony way, but he does. Mm -hmm. He's the most cartoony of the animated characters in this film. And I like that they show restraint, and they don't do that with every character. Sure. They save it for the character with that kind of personality. For the character with the vest. He okay, so he actually doesn't have a vest. He has a jacket where one sleeve has ripped off. Sure. By the end of the movie, it is a vest, mm-hmm. and he has become an Ernest, <laughs> and he has a hat. He know. does. Oh, he is introduced in the movie pulling a ruse dressed as a woman. He he dresses as uh, Frida, Frida Kahlo. Kahlo. Yep. Look, it's Frida. Yes, it is I, Frida Kahlo. It is an honor, Senora. Gracias. So he's pulling like an Auntie Nelda. Well, I guess it's it's up to me to paint things. (laughs) I'm Frida (laughs) Kahlo. And then I watched, how'd you watch it? Do you see the the parallels? Absolutely, yeah. No, when you you brought him up as an earnest analog, I was immediately like, yeah, yeah. Also, the amount of bad stuff happening to a character. Sure. In terms of getting dumped on. So a happy, energetic, cartoony character getting dumped on. Watch Coco. No, no matter how much the jackals tear him apart. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. But you know what was very interesting to me? Besides the fact that he's super cartoony and that he has a hat and a vest, um, I like to watch a lot of movie reactions. You know how reactions are a big thing now? Or people put their reactions to stuff on YouTube? Sure, yeah. So reaction like, videos. So I like watching something and then watching people react to it because I find it very like enlightening about, wow, this is how people watch things. Sure. Well, it's, it kind of harkens back to like a theater experience almost where yeah, like exa- watching something with a crowd can... How we've gotten rid of the theater experience, but now with reactions, we're trying to get back to it while still being at home. Well, it's like it's trying to control it maybe or trying to like compartmentalize it. It's interesting. Yeah. But anyways, so I've watched some Coco reactions and I've watched Coco with other people. And I noticed that because Hector is introduced pulling a ruse, the audience perceives him as untrustworthy and a liar. Hmm. right away because the first thing we do see in the movie is him lying he even says that was a lie i apologize for doing that it's sure. like one of his early lines we see him in a sketchy situation early on so for the whole rest of the movie i notice people like going i don't know if i trust this character i don't know if i trust this character even though he is very nice and funny and charming and like but they're like i don't know if i trust him and i feel like it's because he was introduced in that context huh. and then i was just thinking like Isn't it weird how you can take an earnest analog, introduce them in a different context, and then all of a sudden the character is totally recontextualized? Well, like it's well, first impressions is differently labeled. Yeah, because I noticed that people are calling this character like the trickster, Hector the trickster. Like in in talking about the movie, yeah, and like in describing the character, and this Hmm. character is like this trickster, you know, like this cunning trickster, and it's like, well, imagine if Ernest had been introduced in an Ernest movie. While he was pulling an anti Nelda ruse, sure. While he was pulling the Aster ruse, and yeah. is then Ernest then a trickster? Are we thinking of him that way because that's how he was introduced? 
Interesting. It I just, don't have a clear answer for that, but yeah, I see what I you're saying. I just found it really interesting how it's like, I feel like this character is very earnesty, but because of the scene where we're introduced to him happens to be the ruse scene, the Auntie Nelda scene. Mm-hmm. Now we perceive him as a trickster, like as in that being what he is, even though it's just one aspect. I mean, that reminds me of something that came up on our full episodes of Analogs, which is where I I was talking about how Ernest came from being, I I said, quote, just an ad character. Mm -hmm. And you took offense to that because you're like, that's not all he is. And I was like, I'm not saying- I clarified. I didn't take offense. I clarified (laughs) that he wasn't just an ad character. Uh, But I was saying like, that's where he comes from. And Mm -hmm. I think character introductions are a stronger influence on audiences and on popular culture than maybe- is generally thought about. I think that's true. I think that only hit me when I was watching this movie and I was because I was thinking of him as an earnesty character and then yeah. watching other people react to him and say, man, this guy's a trickster. I don't know if I trust him. And I was like, wow. But if they introduced Ernest during one of those scenes, that's what you would think of him as too. Like you, yeah. the audience immediately wouldn't trust Ernest because we've had discussions about whether or not Ernest is a liar. We have, yeah. Because Ernest lies like we've seen that he lies yep actually going back to doctor who there's a big theme in like maybe the fifth and sixth seasons of doctor who was that the doctor lies Mm. and it's like does does lying make the character a liar like like what (laughs) i mean come i don't know how much do you take something a character does and then make that the defining trait i feel like what i'm learning is to not do that but how but how easily we can make an audience do that Oof, this is deep. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't well, mean to get so... No, no, no. I have things I want to say about it, but I don't know if I can articulate them as well as, well, well as you just did. on the top of your head? Just that like, and this almost maybe goes back to what we talked about earlier. There are more Ernest podcasts now. Mm-hmm. The Ernest podcasts, by and large, treat Ernest as like, okay, we're just going to accept that Ernest is a character. Let's talk about him yeah. respectfully. I think not everybody does that. True. And I think if you don't care to respect a character or to respect a creative work, then it's super easy to take one portrayal or introduction of a character as a defining moment. Yeah. And just and that that I think leads directly into I know what this is without, without having seen it. Yeah. Which I don't know if we've ever said this before, but that's the literal definition of judging a book by its cover. Yeah. Like that's exactly what that means. Well, so, I guess, and yeah, the Ernest podcast, we try actively not to do that. We take Ernest very seriously. I don't, yeah. I don't, you said the same thing earlier. Like, I don't want to say seriously. But we do take it seriously. We treat him with respect. We, we treat... We treat everything the same. We're aware that he's a comedic character. But yeah. We, yes, in a sense, we take it and f- take and Ernest seriously. I don't want to. I think we shouldn't take ourselves seriously. Well, and I think for his comedy, like we don't treat him any different than we would a quote unquote serious film yeah. or a serious character. It's everything is kind of on a, le- a level playing field in terms of how you and I approach discussing stuff but like this. Maybe part but of not being... everybody is like that. Maybe part of being some kind of earnest analog is an unfair perception. Ooh, I could see that. Yeah. I mean, how, we keep coming back to it. Steve, Steve Urkel. Irwin, Steve Urkel. Yeah. Maybe Doc Brown to an extent. Sure. You know, just labels that get thrown on people. and a Crazy then, old man who claims to be a scientist. Yeah. And then people being more than those labels. Sure. But sure. it not being seen. He's an ad character, but he's not just an ad character. There's a Southern accent, but it's not all they are. Yeah. <laughs> Again, deeper than I was intending to go. But anyways. I mean, I like that idea. It seems 
It reminds me of our discussion of Mr. Bean, actually, and how you said, like, the speech that Mr. Bean gives where he nails it mm-hmm. unintentionally could never happen to Ernest. Because of, it's based on assumptions. Yeah, again. yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. You know, I this is stuff we don't have answers for. Just, no, just realizing, like, oh, I, I'm trying to explain how it's resonating in my mind and bouncing off other things. You know, people often, when I tell them that we're still doing this podcast, <laughs> question whether there's still stuff to discuss beyond the fact that we finished the movies already. This this discussion has, has been one of my favorites just because of not only what it says about Ernest, but also what it says about the way you and I ingest media and yeah. how to think about other characters who exist or other characters that we might create. Yeah. I like it. I hope we are more aware viewers, or at least more self-aware viewers. And trying to see the patterns of our own perceptions. Sure, sure. Anyways, Coco. Yes. It's a wonderful movie. (laughs) I highly recommend it. It's, I mean, in terms of serious topics, it's about memory and uh, loss, death. It's about legacy. And legacy, it's about legacy. Yeah. But you know what? Coming off that, this is something that we keep coming back to. And I don't, it's not that I want to, but we keep coming back to it in our podcast. Yes. Death. Sure. It's super present in this. It's super present just in the the way we talk about Ernest. We have it with Steve Irwin. Mm-hmm. We have it with um, Jim Varney. Jim Varney. I mean, there's a, a Doctor Who, you could say, is a show about death. Peter Capaldi described it as a show about death, even though BBC would not want him to say that. He sure. says, they wouldn't want me to say this, but it's a show about death because it's a character constantly dying yep. and then carrying on. And it's about loss and, and renewal. And I, I don't know. I feel like when I was watching Coco and thinking of him in terms of an earnest analog, I was like, man, we keep coming back to death in analogs. And when we talk about, it's like you can't talk about legacy without talking about death sure. or without death being a part of that. Sure. I mean, I know that's kind of, it's a little heavy, but also we've, we have talked about death mm-hmm. a lot on this podcast. I think it's just unavoidable when you're talking about someone that's considered an icon. Sure, sure. And how it can carry on. You know, inevitably, we keep coming back to death. I don't know. I don't know that I have anything more to say about that. Other than that, I want to be just point out that we keep coming back to it just to be aware that it's that it is a part of legacy and it's a part of care. It's it's, a part of life. Yeah. Yeah. And, And it's a part of, I don't know, a part of celebrating someone. There's also an inevitable part where you lose that person. Okay, again, <laughs> hours into this as we are, I don't know that I can articulate this properly, as usual. I think the way that death and legacy is kind of exemplified or um, is part of the story in Coco mm-hmm. can be tied to the way that the Ernest podcasts, I don't want to say memorialize, but like perpetuate the mm-hmm. legacy of Ernest and of Jim Varney's performance because he died. And I don't, yeah. I don't mean to say that if Jim Varney hadn't died, I don't mean to say that Ernest podcasts wouldn't happen. Right. But I think the thing that comes back into it is the other facet that we just talked about, which is yeah. the dismissal, the idea that inherent in an Ernest analog is this this sense that the character is misunderstood or what, underrated. Underrated, yeah. Mm. So I think that is definitely part of the impetus for why we treat the character the way we do and why we explore it so deeply. I think of us putting the photo of Jim Varney on like the the shelf with all the candles, whatever that's called in Coco, I can't remember. Uh, Ofrenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you part of carrying on someone's legacy is that person not being around to do it themselves, I suppose. Sure, sure. I mean, not necessarily, but eventually, 
as joyous as this is, there is that part of the cycle. Of course, And then yeah. it's not inherently negative. It is just part of it, I guess. You know, the loss is inevitable, whether it's too early or on time. What does that even mean? I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But yeah, either way, it's inevitable. Well, I think I can lead that back into wrapping this up and sure. also lead into our next episode because we do have a couple of things I wanted to bring up from listeners. Sure. There's two listener comments I want to bring up. Um, because I mentioned it last episode, Josh Mindtree had a theory about Bean, the movie, uh-huh. Ernest Saves Christmas, and Ghostbusters 2 all being connected. <laughs> right. He says, I'm certain that Bean, Ernest Saves Christmas, and Ghostbusters 2 are connected. We start with Bean set in mid-November. David Langley lets a mysterious figure take over his life and his work at an art museum. This is also when Ghostbusters 2 starts. Right. On to Christmas, where Ernest helps Santa, who claims to have no money, find someone to replace him at work. Side note, Santa states the beard is important for the job. Right. Back to Ghostbusters 2 days after Christmas, where Janosch Poha lets a mysterious figure take over his life and work at an art museum. Considering how much he resembles David Langley, Mm -hmm. it's a strong possibility the two were related. Coincidence. As things get crazy in Ghostbusters 2, we see a man with a striking resemblance to Santa, sans beard, in a tuxedo with a woman in a fur coat. Could this be Seth Applegate? Did he lie about having money? So a man in <laughs> a man in being the movie with a resemblance in looks and job to someone in Ghostbusters 2, right. which features someone who looks identical to someone in Ernest Saves Christmas. Okay. Josh says, I say the evidence is all too much. <laughs> <laughs> I think that actually might be Douglas Seal because I believe the woman with all the, the fur coat that comes to life, I think that's Douglas Seal's wife. Oh, really? I could be wrong on that. Listeners can fact check Interesting. me. Interesting. So that was just something I wanted to make sure to bring up since I alluded to it last time. That makes time. the flow chart like impossible to read. I Again, all <laughs> all of the yarn. All roads lead back to Ernest. All of the yarn. And then um, what I think will lead us nicely into our next episode, which is Unmade Ernest's, mm-hmm. is uh, a couple of comments from Louis Nira, who's okay. a, a long-time, long-time listener. Yes. Uh, one thing he said was, the way Ernest scientifically yet inaccurately describes his surroundings reminds me of the Fraggles Uncle Traveling Matt in his visits to, quote, outer space. Hey, there you go. Oh, Jim Henson. I want to say another Jim Henson. premature, again, tying back to not just death, but premature death. And legacy. Premature death and legacy we have with Ernest, Coco. Working for Disney. <laughs> Steve Irwin. I yeah. mean, there's a whole carrying on of that legacy. Yep. And Louis actually had two things in two separate years that he said about Jim Henson. (laughs) Another comment from him was, I'm reading Jim Henson's biography, and it's Mm -hmm. amazing how much the two had in common, both Mm. from good families, a strong father, shy but astute, a fascination with how things work, tireless energy and enthusiasm, worked better when part of a team, innovators in entertainment, loved children, and both taken far too young. How I wish both Jims could have worked together, the result would have been awesome to see. And I've compared Jim Varney to a Muppet. Like, <laughs> there's there's a quote like, from Aaron commenting on this, which says, grief. "We're also huge fans. That would have been amazing, especially considering Varney was basically a Muppet." And then you posted a gif of Ernest from Scared Stupid pulling the battery out. And his of mouth. The thing. It's just the way his mouth opens is like the way yep. that a Muppet jaw drops. Like, ah, yeah, it's no one just, can see it has what we're a doing. big round. I mean, yeah, Jim Varney was a Muppet. We kind of didn't even say that in the last one, but yeah. And it, and it is interesting. I mean, I don't I mean, want. I'm not saying that it's interesting that people died. Uh, it's not that. It's just it keeps surfacing, and we're unable to talk about this topic without talking about death. And I think that's sure. sort of there's something that's surprising about that because Ernest is such an upbeat, a uh, wacky character. Sure. And yet 
we can't discuss him without on some level discussing death at some point. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's something about that that maybe that does make us take it more seriously. or Yeah. Or it allows us to convince other people to take it seriously with us. I don't know. Well, and we did compare Jim Henson, the Muppets, to Jim Varney and Ernest. But how, how do I get into this? I guess what I wanted to say was we've made it clear on this podcast that in addition to being a huge Jim Varney fan, I'm also a huge Jim Henson fan. Yeah. And every once in a while, I go down a YouTube rabbit hole. <laughs> sure. I love where, a YouTube hole. Where I end up watching random Muppet clips or things from 30 years ago of Jim Henson on any talk show or whatever. Yeah. And uh, our guest, Matt, from Haver and Disc One sometimes makes also fun of Muppet. me. Also Muppet. Also Muppet, <laughs> but uh, sometimes makes fun of me because I, I occasionally watch the saddest Jim Henson things. Like I'll watch like footage from Jim Henson's funeral. Aww. Not not even because like I, I wouldn't call my interest in it morbid, no. but like Jim Henson, there was this anecdote where like he very specifically wanted his funeral to be a celebration. And yeah. he, he talked when he was alive about how he wanted, I think, like a ragtime band playing When the Saints Go Marching In. Like, he he, oh, d- yeah. he didn't see death as, I might be quoting like a book or something I've read, but he didn't see death as like a negative thing or like he just yeah. saw it as like a part of life. And so one thing I've watched recently in one of these YouTube rabbit holes mm-hmm. is a special called The Muppets Celebrate Jim Henson. And what this was, was the first Muppet thing that came out after Jim Henson died. Wow. And it was kind of... Basically, the premise is that Fozzie and the gang, Kermit is noticeably absent. Fozzie and the mm-hmm. gang get a note from Kermit that says, hey, we've got to put on this this like big production for Jim Henson. Can you guys do it? I'll be there later. And it's essentially Fozzie and all of the Muppet characters learning about who Jim Henson was and like reading fan mail wow. and getting like celebrity like anecdotes and memories. This. It makes me cry every time I watch Aww. it. I love it. Um, but what happens at the... Do I want to give away the ending? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, what happens at the ending then is it's the introduction of Steve Whitmire's sure. uh, Kermit, which is like the next sort of, it's the continuing of Kermit's legacy. Yeah. And there's a quote from Kermit that's something like, But before we go, let me thank you for being with us for our tribute to Jim Henson. And we'll be seeing you soon with more Muppet stuff because that's the way the boss would want it. <laughs> and that feels like a group acknowledging someone's death and acknowledging their legacy and celebrating it and perpetuating it. And so going into, I feel like I can feel myself tearing up as I say this. No, but it's, I mean, yes, I see like, it is not coming from nowhere. Like death is in a certain way, a part of this discussion or it's always been there. But so to go into our next episode, Unmade Earnests, I don't want to get too far into this discussion. It's a whole other episode, but one thing I thought could have been awesome was to have something like the Muppets celebrate Jim Henson, but instead it would be in my notes <laughs> that I was taking while I was watching uh, the Muppets celebrate Jim Henson. I called it Ernest's family reunion, oh, and it's this man. thing where like <laughs> all of me cry. all of these characters who are either either characters who are like Ernest or Ernest analogs sure. playing members of the Warhol family all kind of come together and celebrate this character that they were either inspired by or, or like, the inspiration for. Or contemporaries with. Or exactly spiritual right. Spiritual cousins. And just sort of having this like wacky celebration of both life and death. Like <laughs> the Muppets celebrate Jim Henson. There's like, it's it's serious in points, but there's also, you know, 
the Java Muppets like <laughs> shooting a smoke bomb at the other one or like yeah. just the yeah. normal things you expect from the Muppets. And yeah. like that sort of celebration, I think, could have been an awesome earnest movie to lead into whatever the next it still could be for all I yeah, know. Who, I mean, yeah. To lead into what the earnest legacy as far as film and television is concerned would be. I think there, there are multiple ways that a legacy could be carried on. But I could, without someone that's no longer with us. I could yeah. totally see John Cena being a member of Ernest's <laughs> family at this uh, Ernest family. Or would it be like, it would be like, hey, Vern, it's my family reunion or something like that. Or like the Worrell family reunion. Some, something like that. Yeah. That's my idea. <laughs> <laughs> In some On some level that exists because it's an idea. It, well, there you go. I, I think it makes me happy that we did this Ernest analog exploration because even if that never gets made, I feel like we got close. Yeah. I am spent. <laughs> <laughs> like emotionally yep. and physically. Yep. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So the point is, I love Ernest. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And Ernest is, <laughs> there's a lot that Ernest says about life, but and part of it is that he's not here anymore. Yes. That adds, I don't know, some more weight almost. And it's also that. At this point, we are seeing life through an earnest prism. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's both. I think that might be the most succinct way that we've been circling that idea this whole yeah. discussion, but I think that's the most succinct way. Ernest says a lot of things about life, but death is inherently part of that. Yeah. I like it. And and honestly, like in that, just to take it back for a second, in the Muppets Celebrate Jim Henson, mm-hmm. there's a moment where they're reading fan letters to the Muppets, and one of them is like, Dear Kermit, I'm a big fan. I'm so sorry to hear your friend Jim Henson died. Mm-hmm. And all the Muppets are like, wait, he died? Like, we were just getting to know him. It's like, <laughs> oh. but but in a way that's like, I feel like there's this thing where you and I often. I mean, that's an apt statement. It is. Um, you and I often complain about like children's media where it's like they sort of skirt around things that are quote unquote like children can't handle or yeah. things like that. But I'm every time death is discussed. I mean, Sesame Street did it yeah. with uh, Mr. Hooper. But it's also out of necessity. It's like often out of necessity. It is like, a part of when- life. Coco does it too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's part of me feeling our age as we get older, sure, losing sure. people. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know, like, other than what we said, and I'm just sort of working through our, not just our feelings about Ernest, but feelings about other stuff in our lives while we're also talking about Ernest a lot. Sure. And about like media and content creation. Yeah. We're both creative people. I th- We're figuring this out. Yeah. And Ernest is a conduit to that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> like there's, again, no definitive statements, which is we don't have anything definitive to say. We just love Ernest. <laughs> and we do have definitive things to say next time in terms of what movies we would have loved Ooh. to see featuring Ernest. There are some that were, as you said, Ernest e- goes either, down under. Either, well, <laughs> Wait, I was going to say there's something <laughs> there were, that were either seriously or unseriously uh, suggested by Jim Varney yeah, in various like interviews. Yeah, there's jokes in the Ernest brain trust of things they could have done. The curse and of then, Hitler's brain, that kind of a thing. And then there's stuff that got full written treatments and, yeah. you know, they could have very well shot. And then there's stuff that didn't ever get brought up, but we would love to see. Yeah. Secret Agent Ernest. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about all of that on our next episode. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Please share podcast with your friends please rate and review us because it lets people find the show better yep. on itunes and we're just so thankful that there are other podcasts out there now and we're thankful that you guys have been listening to us this long listen to us ramble we don't take it seriously and we do and thank you for indulging us 
Yeah. And we'd love to hear, you know, I think we kind of cracked a couple more things in this episode. Mm. And by cracked, I don't mean... Uh, figured it out figured forever. Figured it out forever. <laughs> Can't Never. stand it. But I, I think there's a couple more things in this episode that we sort of unearthed as, mm-hmm. as discussion talking points. And we'd love to hear from all of you out there in the land of podcast land what you think about that. So uh, hit us up. We'll see you next time. We will. Unmade Earnests. Unmade Earnests. I can't wait. Until then. Take care, listeners. Viva Lavarney. Viva Lavarney.